Good morning, Village Church East. Welcome to Village Church Online. This unfortunately is our new reality. The good thing about it is we're all together. You need to be assured that although you're together with your family with the doors shut, there are, there are uh, still your family, their church family gathered around their television screens and their computer screens, and they are singing with you and they are worshiping like you're worshiping and they are in, involved with this service just like you are. So even though you're alone with your families, be assured the church is with you. And the church is not a building, the church is people. And uh, so when we get together to do this, be assured that at 10.30 you're doing it with all of your uh, all of your church family as well. I want to encourage you to stay faithful. Uh, the temptation is going to be to kind of slack off in different areas, but we're doing everything we can to make church as familiar as possible. So we want you to sing when we sing, pray when we pray, listen to the message when, we're, when I'm delivering the message and receive the word of God, sleep if you feel like that's what you normally do at Fountain View, whatever it is that you feel familiar with. Uh, that's what we want you to, to feel comfortable doing as we do these online worship services and give. I want to encourage you to give. If you're not used to online giving, there's a give button at vce.org, uh, vce.org. Click on the give button. We are going to continue to give to Hope for Venezuela, whatever we're going through. They're going through even more. So I want to encourage you to give to Hope for Venezuela. And we're going to send that package down there to hopefully give them some food and some medicine. They desperately need it and give in the general fund as well. Um, just because we're not together uh, doesn't doesn't mean that we're we're changing anything. In fact, everything is trying as much as we can to stay the same. We want the church to stay strong. We want to encourage church attendance, fellowship in new ways, online giving, um, and so stay faithful, church, if you would, um, and we will be faithful to get the information to you as often as we can about how things keep changing uh, with regards to our church. I think the first time that really hit me was. Monday night I was driving back, and as I was driving back uh, from being away for the, I had to get away, had to clear my head, and so I did. 24 hours, I'd shut off the news, I'd spend my time in prayer. Uh, I just needed to kind of focus on what was important, and I had I had a good day. Uh, I was I was out, I was in the wild, I was out in God's creation, I was fishing, but on the way home, um, I was like deluged with all the information that I missed. I don't know if you remember Monday. Monday was a, a, a pretty amazing day. Uh, the stock market plunged 3,000. Um, I found that out. I found out that our church was going fully digital. Um, I found out that um, the students weren't going back to school for, for a really unknown amount of time. And on top of that, as I was, as I was uh, uh, going through all of that, I found out that my mom had been sick actually for a week and didn't tell anybody. So as I was as I was receiving all this information, I just felt like I, I, my whole demeanor changed. My hands grew tighter around the wheel. My my heart began to beat faster. In fact, it's almost like somebody had taken a shovel and dug a hole where my heart should have been. And uh, I felt hot. I felt heavy. I felt fear for the first time in all of this as I was driving home and I was just getting this download dump all at one time. I don't know if you've gone through that yet, or maybe you haven't gone through anything like that yet. Um, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you won't. But for me, I think the Lord kind of gave it all to me at that one moment of time so that I could understand that we live in a world where people are uncertain about the future. They're uncertain about the realities they now face. They are going through some seriously terrible feelings like I was just having where this 
this fear in my head actually came into my physical body. My imagination took over and my heart began to fail. And I began to think to myself, this is the world where a lot of people live right now. Seneca, one of the Roman philosophers of the early first century wrote, uh, there, there are more things likely to frighten us than there are to crush us. We suffer more often in imagination than we do in reality. And I think that's what really came into my mind. John Naraki sent me this, uh, this quote and I, I, it just, it laid so, so real on my heart because of what I had gone through on Monday. I had to run back to what I knew to be true about God. And here's where I went to, and here's where I want to start with you this morning. Here's a verse of scripture from Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Listen, God's word has a unique power of tearing away the imaginations of fear and driving home what is real. I had to be reminded that as one who trusts in Jesus Christ, as one who follows Jesus Christ, I've been equipped for such a time as this. Most of us don't understand the power of the simple. God cares for us. That's simple. It never wavers. The gospel is simple. It never changes. And love God's love for us is simple. It never fails. Now, I want to take you to a passage of scripture that I went over with Michael and Alex this past week. And this is going to be our main passage this morning. It's in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Uh, before we get there, I want to tell you a little bit about what Ephesus is. If you look at the map, you kind of get an idea where it is. Paul the Apostle has gone uh, as a missionary all over Asia. And he has seen many people convert to the gospel. One of those people was Timothy. Timothy was his convert. In fact, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, he actually calls Timothy my child in the faith. And then Timothy had grown in his faith and Paul had trained him to be a pastor. And he put him in charge of the church at Ephesus. Paul was really like a dad to Timothy. And so the whole first chapter of the book of Timothy is like Paul writing to his son in the faith and telling him, Important things, teach the church, teach them not to get distracted with different doctrines and myths and silly distractions. The aim of our charge is love that comes out of a pure faith. This is the whole first chapter. Ephesus was on the cusp of persecution. Nero had just burned Rome down. Paul had been in prison. Paul is actually writing this from prison. And he writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, you've been equipped for such a time as this. Don't lose heart. Don't get lost. Don't fear. These are the last words that Paul thought he would ever write as he's sitting there in prison. And so we have to understand that he is telling Timothy some of the most important things he wants Timothy to know. As if it were one of us thinking to ourselves, we're never going to see this loved one again. What would you tell them? For our church, we went into 2020 saying our vision was going to be 2020. Our vision right now is three months later, we're stuck in our houses with the doors closed. We may share a more common reality with our neighbors, with our neighborhood than ever before. What's the common reality? Every one of us is suffering some sort of a crisis. Every one of us is suffering similar crisis. But when the crisis is over, church, people go back to their other crisis all the time. 
People thrive on crisis. And the church is given to the world to be a light in times of crisis. This is a silver platter that we have where we can minister to our neighbors who constantly live from crisis to crisis. And we can inject into their lives something of value, something meaning, something more than just waiting for the next crisis to come. Church, you are equipped for crisis. I am equipped for crisis. The church risks complacency when we are surrounded with constant comfort. And the fact of the matter is we are. I mean, even now, going through this crisis right now, we have running water, we have a roof over our heads, we have heat, we have all of these wonderful things. I've got a refrigerator full of food because we just went and stocked up on groceries. That's not the reality around the world. And so even though our crisis is tough for us, we sometimes have a tendency to, to forget about our brothers and sisters around the world who go through these kinds of things way more often than we do. And we get caught off guard. Moses, remember this guy? This is the guy that we've been studying so far. Moses was 80 years old and he got caught in comfort. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years making a new life for himself in Midian, 40 years trying to forget the 40 years in Egypt. He had sheep now, he had a job now, he was trusted now. He had a wife and kids, he had a life for himself and he comes face to face with God. And God says, I've got something I need you to do. Right in the middle of his comfort, God throws in a crisis. And he tries to talk God out of it five different times. Tries to come up with the best excuses he could. And God says, I thought about this a long time, Moses. You are the one that I have been equipping for such a time as this. And church, we are the ones that God has been equipping for such a time as this. God knew that this is what he had in store for Moses and God knew that this is what he had in store for us. We didn't three months ago, entering into 2020, but God did. This pandemic is a unique opportunity for us to clear up our vision about what's important. And the question is simply this, do you have all you need from God to get through everything that comes your way? So the question we would ask Moses, do you have everything you need from God to go through what God is asking you to go through? Church, do you have everything you need from God to go through what God asks you to go through? I finished the message last week with this verse from 2 Peter verse one, chapter one, verse three. His divine power, listen to this now, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Village Church, we have been training you for this moment for years. God has been setting you up and equipping you for this moment for years. Now is the time to put into action everything that we have learned in creative ways. Can we really be the church to our communities, even when we're separated, even when we're alone, and even when we're uncertain of the future, even when fear grips our hearts at times? Here's the warning. Oppressed and suffering communities will either turn away from each other or they will lean into each other. And so this chapter, in chapter one, Paul writes to Timothy and he reveals to us and to Timothy, his great heart for him. But in chapter two, he starts telling Timothy what's important. And here's where he starts. 
Look in chapter 2 and verse 1. It says this, First of all, I, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, when you're in a conversation with somebody, you just say, first of all, you usually are trying to make sure that they understand what's coming is really important. First of all, hang on, listen to this, first of all. And the thing that Paul chooses to tell Timothy about, first of all, is prayer. There will be much to follow in his conversation, but this is first. Chapter 2, verse 1. Prayer is our go-to in time of crisis. So often church prayer is the last thing we do because it gets sold short so often. And we live in a world where they say, I'd rather see what you do than tell me you're, I've had enough prayer. I want to see you do something. They are missing the boat because prayer is where the power comes from. We can do nothing without the power of prayer. Do nothing without the intercession, the, the ability we have to intercede with God. In church, right now, you have time. So I would advise you, pray. Pray. Here's some, here's, here's some of the ways that we pray. Look at the counterintuitive prayer share. Number one, supplication. What is supplication? Prayer for one another. What are, and, and, and prayer, prayer about stuff on the behalf of others. Prayers should go up, general conversation with God, intercessions. This is when I intercede for somebody, I'm bringing their burdens before God on their behalf and thanksgivings. Paul is obsessed with giving thanks. Give thanks in all things, even in prayer, even when it hurts. In thanksgiving, we pray. Prayer is counterintuitive because none of these things, if you look at that list carefully and you look at this verse carefully, None of those things are about us. Me, I'm missing out of this. All of those things have to do with others. This is not about our crisis. It's about the crisis of others. And that's why he ends with all people. Prayers on behalf of all people. Our go-to prayers about our own needs come fairly even and easily to us. And that's not all bad. But these prayers are for others in times of crisis. Why? Because when are you thankful for other people the most? Aren't you thankful for other people the most when you go through times of crisis? Last year I was in the hospital, as many of you know, for, <laughs> amazingly enough, in the month of March, for an amazing amount of time. And I can remember I got cards from people, I got calls from people. I love knowing that the presence and the notes of others were so encouraging during that time. I knew I was not alone. The presence of others has an enormous impact on our emotional stability. So let somebody know that you're praying for them. You may not get to see them. Send them a text, send them an email, give them a phone call. One of the things that we're gonna start doing is we're gonna introduce five minute fellowships. We're gonna encourage you to call each other in the church. Just pick up the phone, just talk five minutes. How are you doing? Do you need anything? How can I pray for you? In this way, we wanna make sure that we grow through this time of crisis. And we're praying for others. We're thinking about others. Use your prayers on other people's behalf. Now, here's the thing. Look at verse 2. It's not just people you know. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified life in every way. In other words, church, pray for your leaders whether you like them or not. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for your leaders. Pray for other people that you don't even know. Pray for others. This is not a, 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 
a thing that we're not familiar with. Jesus himself told us this all the time. In fact, Jesus even went further because we have a tendency to say, okay, I can pray for other people, but I don't even know who they are. Jesus said, you know who some of them are because some of them are even your enemies. Pray for them too. Look at this verse in Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. And what does it say here, church? Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise to, on the evil one and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. I will never understand Christians who say that such terrible, vile things about public leaders and then tell me they pray for them. Here's a, here's a breakthrough. I don't believe them. Because it's very difficult to pray for somebody that God will be gracious to them and bring them into the truth and help them understand and grow them and challenge them when at the same time you're, you're, you're saying such vile things about them elsewhere. I guarantee you people who are harbor vile in their hearts toward others don't regularly pray for them. But Jesus reminds us, pray for others, including those who persecute you, including your enemies. I bet Paul's, I bet Timothy had this in mind when he read Paul's letter here too. When he's reading what Paul said, pray for those who are in authority over you. These kings and leaders were the ones who had just put Paul in jail, were the ones that were threatening to take Paul's life, were the ones that were throwing his Christian friends into the Colosseums as appetizers to the lions before the gladiator fights. This is the reality of Timothy's world. And Paul writes Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want to remind you, pray for your leaders, for those who are in authority over you. And Timothy's probably thinking to himself, I can pray for a lot of people who deserve it a lot more than they do. But in reality, Paul is just, Paul is parroting Jesus Christ. Pray for those who, who don't treat you well. Pray for all people, even pray for your enemies. You may not like the way they do things. You may not like the way they take your taxes. <laughs> you may not approve of the policies they make. But if you're a Christian, you are commanded to pray for all people, even those who are in authority over us. Why? So that we may lead a peaceful life, a quiet life, a godly life, and a dignified life. Peace. We may freak out on the inside, but inside we have the peace of Jesus Christ. Quiet uninterrupted, quiet time, not flurried and crazy, godly, living God's principles before changing culture, dignified. This is what people see. Dignified doesn't work in a vacuum. Dignified means whatever we're doing in our private life, that's what comes out in our public life. So people look at us and say, that person is dignified. Here's why it's important, verse three. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. This is what Jesus' followers do. This is what we were made for. And this is what Jesus commends us for. Verse four, who desires, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray for all people because Jesus loves all people. And it's as simple as that. And what's important to Jesus is important to you and to me. God draws all people to Jesus through prayers and our public life that demonstrates the content of those prayers. So church, pray for each other. People you know, people you don't know, leaders you've never met, just pray for others. 
this outward act of dignity that comes out of us demonstrates if our prayer life has been strong or failing. One place you can find undignified behavior, by the way, is Facebook. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> revelation of what people's prayer lives actually are like. <clears throat> because if your prayer life is what it should be, your behavior in front of others will demonstrate it. This is why Jesus reminds us of what God does. He says at the end of that verse, God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, on the just and on the unjust. Why? Because God desires that all people would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's ours as well. Here's some so what's. Number one, pray. Surprise, you didn't see that coming. Pray. How can I pray in a way that makes a difference now, you may say? Well, join our Facebook prayer page. That's a great place to go. We, we've had that running for a couple of months, actually for about a year now. Jump on there, become a part of our prayer page. Let us know what's going on. If you have needs in your own life, that's where they go through. All of that stuff goes right to the leadership. And if you want it to be something that others can pray for, you just let us know and it'll go right there on our Facebook prayer page. Also, this Wednesday night, we're gonna have an all service prayer meeting. You're probably thinking to yourself, well, we can't leave our houses. How can we do that? I'm glad you asked. Some of you are getting familiar with this, uh, this uh, uh, platform, digital platform called Zoom. We are gonna tap into Zoom and we are gonna have all of our church gathered. You're gonna get to see their faces. If you turn on your video screen, uh, you're going to get to see their faces. You're going to get to hear us pray. You're going to get to comment. You're going to get to give us prayer requests as we're praying. It is going to be an interactive prayer service like you've never experienced. Seven o'clock Wednesday night. It's really easy to, to uh, figure out. We're going to send you a link. Literally, all you do is press on this link and you go right to the Zoom page and you can join in on the conversation. I'm really excited about what will happen on Wednesday night. I can't wait to see you all again. I hope that you all will be there seven o'clock on Wednesday night. I can't think of a better way to, to put into practice what we're learning than to start praying as a church through this time that we're in right now. So be there Wednesday night. Prayer has never been about you. In a sense, it's it's never even been about other people hearing you pray. It's been It's about God hearing your heart. And so prayer is about us crying out to God. Prayer in its simplest terms requires no visible response. It's just an, a crying of our heart, a sharing of our, 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 our woes and our needs with God. The added benefit is other people get to hear and they get to be blessed by what they hear us speak to God about. Number two, peace. You may say, well, Craig, how do I find peace now? Do you know my kids, they're around me 24 seven. That might be the case. But when everything is stripped away, the point of the matter is, when everything is taken away, where do you find your peace? When other things have been added, like 12 kids at home, 24-7, where do you find your peace? I got to tell you, from my vantage point, this is probably my toughest one in this list. I had no peace on that two-hour drive home. As I, as I was downloaded with all of these things, I only felt fear. And I got to tell you, when I, when I feel the, the weight of the needs of those around me on my shoulders, my stress level goes up and peace runs away. I want peace for each one of you. I want peace for my family. But ultimately, I am not the one that can bring peace. Only come that comes from Jesus Christ. That is God's job. The opposite of peace, by the way, is not chaos. The opposite of peace is fear. 
In fact, Jesus says it 70 times in scripture. Don't be afraid. Here's one. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and two of them will fall to the ground and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head, which I have a lot of, the hairs of your head are numbered. And then he says, fear not, therefore. You are of more value than the sparrows. Church, fear not. This God did not wake up and didn't see this coming. God has been preparing you for this moment for years. Number three, quiet. Quiet is the third thing on the list. Why should I embrace quiet? It's hard to be quiet when you have all the kids in the home. I get it. Some of you might be alone. It might be too quiet. Embrace moments of quiet in your life. Take advantage of the quiet that God has built into your relationship with him. Resist the natural urge to fill your quiet time with stuff. Music is, is great, but we have a tendency to just be so much impacted by a world of noise that we forget to take our quiet moments with the Lord. God has given you literally this moment. However long it lasts, spend some time in quiet. Grow a new habit of learning to be quiet. And we've given you a Dwell app. If you haven't tried the Dwell app, shoot over to the website as soon as we're done here. It just reads scripture to you. And there's nothing better to fill your quiet time than listening to God's word. Number four, godly. Why should I embrace godliness at home? I try and be godly out there. Why should I be godly at home? Well, sometimes being godly at home is the hardest thing to do. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Listen to the Q&A podcast online. Begin to ask God to reveal to you areas of your life that you need to surrender. Begin to learn to be godly on a personal level when it's just you in your home. Surrender some area of your life to Jesus Christ. You'll be amazed at how these small moves to surrender these areas of our lives moves us to a place of godliness we never realized before. And that leads us to be, number five, dignified. Why do I have to dignify myself? <laughs> Why do I have to live an upstanding lifestyle? This is, this is the public place of our Christianity. Everything that you, even prayers between you and God is a very private, intimate thing. There's only a few areas of our life that bleeds out into the public arena. But if our private life is what it should be, our public lives will be dignified. We will speak different. We will think differently. We will pray for those around us. So here's some things that you can do. Write a note to your neighbors. Write an encouraging note on Facebook to somebody that you know. Offer stuff in your neighborhood. I saw this one picture of a, a truck or a, a van that was open. The back was open. There's three signs in the back. It was full of food and full of toilet paper. It said, if you need food, take some. If you need toilet paper, take some. And then there was a pad of paper with a pen that said, if you need prayer, write it down and know that our family will be praying for you. Think about, think about things that you can do like that that speak to your neighborhood. This is a great time to reach out to your neighborhood and let them know that you are dignified in your Christianity and you're not, uh, you're not offensive about things. Make your prayers about thanksgiving as much as about your personal needs. And remember, church, you are equipped for crisis. I give this verse one more time. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who called us out of his own glory or to his own glory and excellence. Crisis is your moment to exhibit your training. You've been prepping for this forever. You just didn't expect it this way. Kind of like Moses. Who expects to talk to a burning bush? But God knew you're the only one taken by surprise. I'm the only one taken by surprise. Crisis is our moment to exhibit our training. And as one politician said negatively, I will say to you positively, never let a good crisis go to waste. I wanna pray with you and then I wanna do communion with you. Father, may you teach us what it means to live godly in a time of crisis. We have a tendency to be very singular focused, very inward focused. Help us to think about our community a lot more than we think about ourselves. Help us to realize that's the latch that releases fear. Help us to be generous. Help us to be godly. Help us to be prayerful for the others around us. And I pray, Father, that through this crisis in our lives right now, you would be glorified more than ever before. May the church be stronger than ever before. May all the people that are listening in their different homes this morning, may Village Church East vow to ourselves that we are not gonna let this crisis go to waste. We are gonna take advantage of every moment to be the church. And I pray, Father, that we'd rise up for such an occasion as this. Now bless us as we take communion, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.